name is Andy Gundel. I'm the CEO, GM, whatever you want to call it, of Urban Family Brewing Company. Urban Family is a brewery well known for its sour beers, but that wasn't always how it was. I'm with Andy Gundel, the now part owner of Urban Family, and he is telling us of the many twists and turns that the brewery took before it wound up with him and the many it has taken since. We're seated outside enjoying this great spring weather on the patio. I'm the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. It's fine. We just had a bunch of barrels where you're tired and put them out and, you know, roped it off and found a big spool in the bushes and rolled it down here and <laughs> bought some picnic tables, and here we are. It's beautiful. You found that spool just laying around? Yeah, it was like covered in blackberry bushes. We just cut them all off and rolled them down the street. We're in an old building that used to be a, a car storage facility for for a local family, so it was never even like a, a real like business or anything like that. It was like where they stored their collection. On our street is mostly like across the street. There's a big glass shop, and down the street there's welders and boat stuff. And yeah, it's it's a interesting area to try and attract people to. <laughs> You may not have known that Magnolia, Interbay, and Belltown neighborhoods of Seattle are all connected by a loop of bike paths. Now you've got a little more of an incentive to explore them with a cycling Cicerone bike and brew route for the Ship Canal Trail. Visit Urban Family, the subject of this week's podcast, and five others on the loop, Figurehead, Mollusk, Old Stove, Rooftop, and Belltown. Fill out a punch card and you can score yourself a sweet beer is better with a bike t-shirt. For more info, go to cyclingcicerone.com slash brewtrails. That's cyclingcicerone.com slash brewtrails. Yeah, Isaac Hosky joined the brewery about a, a little over a year ago um, from New Belgium. He had been there for about six years, and he was looking for a smaller, like, passion project. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a huge beer background, so it was more about finding somebody who was passionate, who had an idea, who had a, you know, something that they were really interested in. I, I liked the sour beers we were doing and I wanted to expand upon that. And that's kind of the only direction we really gave him. He really pushed the boundaries to get, you know, our barrel program going. Um, we added, I think some, somewhere in the range of like 80 wine barrels um, that are kind of fermenting our base beers some of our base beers right now. Contrary to sour beer and, and barrel aging, we built up kind of a hazy IPA, you know, New England style IPA kind of. So now, yeah, we have this kind of interesting split between, you know, a lot of fruited sours and, and um, you know, a lot of mixed culture beers and, and sour beers and, and then the hazy IPA kind of thing is, is, uh, is taken off quite a bit, so. Okay, yeah. so how would you describe your current lineup? Uh, so our current lineup is about 50-50 split. I think, you know, our current production is, is probably about 60% sour beers, about 40 or about 30% um, IPA, and about 10% whatever we want to do, like barrel-aged beer or um, uh, like a, we did a Belgian golden, like a strong Belgian golden. We've done a stout. We have a few stout barrels or with bourbon barrels in the back aging with stout in them and then we just put on a just a basic porter like just yeah. trying to nail nail those kind of you know styles that we've always really enjoyed but you know we want to try and try and do something really simple we have a, a pilsner in the tank right now just because we never made a pilsner before and we want to make a pilsner uh they were founded more as a a public house in 2012 um they were on ballard avenue 
I know when you say they, you mean the original founders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who, who are they? <laughs> One of my current partners, Dave Powell, who was kind of the original financier of the company, and then a couple of his friends that that they lived together at a house over in DC together. That was kind of the urban family joke. It's like they all had a house in the city and weren't related and kind of carrying that on now with our ragtag staff. You know, they started kind of bringing in beers working closely with Shelton Brothers, I believe, bringing in all their stuff. And who are the Shelton Brothers? Uh, they're a distributor kind of based on in out of Massachusetts. They bring in like Cantillon and, and those kind of beers and they, they have all the cool stuff from Europe. They bought a, they ended up buying a three barrel like Portland Kettle Works system, uh, brewing on site at that old Boward location before moving over here. Um, and then we stepped it up to the 10 barrel system we have now and then kind of looking to expand upon that hopefully soon. They enjoyed the brewing side of things, so they just looked for more opportunity opportunity to do that and moved over here and, and got the brewing system and then just started making beer. And, you know, it's it's funny, people still say like, oh, I remember, you know, or they tag us like Urban Family Public House, but like, you know, we've shifted really hard to that brewery thing, no longer kind of a public house, but uh, yeah, now it's now it's full, full force brewery. <laughs> Farmhouse beer, Saison, kind of an inter interchangeable term. Um, our original, we kind of still use a similar house yeast of, it's a two brett blend with a Saison base. Um, and that goes into most of all of our farmhouse or sour beers. Um, the added component is the is the lactobacillus, which is creating that, that sour flavor. So it's a different uh, bacteria that's in beer that that gets a little bit more sour and then adding on top of that whatever fruits to complement the base um, you know we we try and rotate that um, fairly often we I think we made it through all of last year without repeating a beer um, but yeah just kind of you know farmhouse beers aren't necessarily the like hottest commodity like people don't you know it's not the latest trend although we do still bottle our, our house saison there's no like tartness there it's all kind of that you know, it gets described as like horse blanket, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So it's it's a uh, that's kind of our house yeast in, embodied in a beer, and then you know everything else on top of that. You you have that same base, but with just a little bit of tweaks here and there to make it slightly different. Um, okay, and then do you use that same yeast blend for the sours as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you guys use this, that blend for everything. Uh, like, except not, for not your pilsner, your porter. Those yeah. Guys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that's like the or the IPAs, those have a, a separate. You know, it's still kind of a blend of of yeast sometimes, like, but not not the Brett. Uh, yeah. So the barrels. Um, when I started here, there was there was a few. I think probably somewhere in the range of like. 20 or 30. Um, they had been filled from the previous brewer about a year ago when Isaac joined, you know, we kind of did an assessment of the barrels, decided which ones we'd like to keep, which wasn't too many, which is why there's a bunch out on our patio right now. We retired quite a few. Um, and then we cut some apart and made those into our tap handles. So our tap handles are actually, you know, barrels that used to be in the facility with our beer in them, which is cool. We decided, uh, that we needed to get a lot more Cooper or a lot more barrels. So um, I contacted a winery in California who had uh, about 50 barrels they were looking to unload. We grabbed those and just did a mad dash of filling those over the course of, I think we filled 
22 wine barrels in in like three weeks or something like that wow. and then continued to fill as we went as we went um uh and then yeah we've just kind of acquired here and there more barrels as we go we just got 24 or more from a local winery um and uh you know with that comes racking and all that stuff we worked a little bit with um captive spirits who makes like big gin and stuff and we got some spirits barrels um, we have some Woodenville whiskey barrels. We have an Eagle Rare barrel. Um, yeah, it's just kind of whatever we can get our hands on, oak and interesting. We had, There's a barrel back there from uh, Nashi Cider out on Vashon Island. Uh, they did a barrel aged, it was a gin barrel that aged cider in it. And then we got it and we put in some of our spontaneous beer we just did with Ex Novo Brewing and then blended that with our house saison, uh, um, just in a single barrel. The rest of those barrels got all spontaneous, but yeah, that one should be interesting. It's a it's a very big mix, but the whole idea there is that we you know we can either um, fruit in those barrels, um, you know, take small samples, blend, uh, and that creates kind of our reserve series that we're working on the the kind of rotating black label black label series that we've done three versions of now and talk about that a little bit yeah uh so the reserve series was something that you know the thing we say a lot is like the barrels are ready when they're ready um it doesn't afford you a lot of time to you know put together a whole like label design and all that stuff so we have a single label for that we buy a stamp and stamp on what's what exactly ends up in there because like we taste in barrels one day and be like that one's good to go let's pull it bottle it condition it um, and get it out and those are only available from our tap room and like I said we've only done three versions of that since uh, mid-December. We have a few more that are conditioning right now. The whole idea is that those are just kind of barrels that we love that we spent some extra time with that we we, we found that worked really well. Um, the first version was a blend of stone fruits from Collins Family Orchards out of Yakima um, we hand processed all that fruit, fruited in barrels, blended, and came up with that guy. The second reserve series release was a, a wine barrel that we got fresh dumped of uh, Muscat wine from Minimus Wines down in Oregon. We blended our Saison our in there with a little bit of lactobacillus and got a nice like tart, great table beer. And then the third one was again with Collins Family Orchards, but we used all Angelino plums, so it's a really fleshy, pink, bright delicious plum blended on top of that and yeah that one was really great the whole barrel thing is is you know something I'm still learning about you know I think we're all learning as it goes like what's working what's not in my mind it's a little bit of a gamble you know like some barrels just don't turn out like it's you know there could be something in the oak that you know even the wine producer couldn't you know identify and put a bunch of beer in there and sit on it for a year and see what comes out the other side fun and scary <laughs> How much does it usually cost to get a barrel? Uh, you know, they really range. It, it just depends on what they are. Um, a lot of the neutral oak you find is usually former red wine barrels, and those tend to be um, pretty cheap. Um, they can you can get them for, I mean, cheap is relative, but like forty to fifty bucks. Um, if you're talking about nice spirits barrels, like an Eagle Rare barrel, or um, we have some Buffalo Trace barrels in there, those you know those go up to like $200, 250 dollars. Um, it just kind of depends, yeah, kind of what the contents were. 
Um, a lot of the time, what they're looking for is just nice neutral oak to start off as a base. Um, we have a bunch of, the 24 barrels we just got are all uh, Chardonnay barrels, so they're fresh dump Chardonnay, which I haven't seen a lot of, I mean, I know there's a lot of Chardonnay beers. Um, I haven't seen a ton in Seattle as of late, uh, so I'm interested to see what, what comes out of those because I feel like that'll add a, a little character that, you know, I, I usually taste stuff out of red wine barrels and this is just going to be a, a different different beast. So yeah. You never use new barrels? No. Yeah, that would, I think those are very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know of many breweries that do um, kind of our, our closest thing to a new barrel it was is our fooder, which is a 20 barrel oak fermentation vessel so it basically functions more or less like a, a conical fermenter um, but we'll throw beer in there and kind of let it age over time at a larger volume so it's not as much contact with oak but um, you know it allows us to do a higher volume we fruit in it we do a lot of different things in it to um, like season it we like to you know the the thing is like it's like a cast iron pan like everything you put into it a little bit stays in there and then the next thing picks up qualities from that so that thing was but when we got that that was steamed fairly neutral so there wasn't a ton of oak pickup from from that so yeah speaking of weird fermentation vessels yeah i was at hair the dog brewery in portland the other day and they have a you're gonna uh, say cement egg? Yeah. Cement <laughs> egg. What's what's up with that? Uh, you know, I haven't seen very many of them, but the the cement egg is the the first time I ever saw one was at a uh, Tired Hands in um, Pennsylvania, uh, and they had one, and they had their first beer on tap out of the cement egg, and I tried it, and I was like, oh, this tastes very mineral. Like it just, I guess the way they work is kind of similar to oak, where cement is porous. Um, whatever you're fermenting in there kind of leaches into the cement and picks that up but over time it's able to draw that stuff back out or you know change change what's going into it so i would like to try one i think they're very expensive for how much volume that you get out of them they seem like one of those things like a cool ship that's like it's a nice to have it's not a necessary thing Mm -hmm. but yeah just make friends with cool ships You're becoming more of kind of the standard. I think everybody, uh, or I think a lot of people start, you know, small breweries and, and kind of build up. I know a couple of local breweries that are kind of asking me about, you know, where do you store your barrels? How do you store your barrels? Where do you get your racking and all that stuff? So it seems like a lot of people are, are starting to get into that, that thing. And once we all have a little bit more wiggle room and we're not, you know, build a bill trying to make it happen, uh, it's nice to, to buy those things. I think, you know, when you're looking at, places that only maybe do like clean beer ales or whatever you want to call them you can really get that down to a a very specific timeline so you know exactly how much you produce exactly how much you release exactly you know those numbers get easier and easier to define i think the thing i'm learning here is we have to factor in that that things with sour beer sometimes you know that that yeast is can be a little bit different or work in a different way and and not you know maybe it's not a nine day fermentation maybe it's a 14 day fermentation just because however many reasons you want and our equipment's a little bit like uh you know more uh it doesn't have all the fancy computers and stuff like that which again trying to fix soon it's kind of the difference between like having a predictable thing and and having a semi kind of fluctuating amount of product or or however you define it I guess I kind of went through you know one of those 
things you hear about where a startup crumbles from underneath you and I ended up being the last person left in the US running an office with field based you know reps and stuff like that so that was my like crash course in business it's like hey like can you run payroll can you do this can you do this so I was I was supposed to be a you know marketing focused guy with like customer facing marketing focus um, and ended up kind of being the everything guy there uh, left there um, and was hired by one of the uh, CEOs from that company to work on a startup that was trying to make a uh, competitor to GoPro cameras and if you know how well GoPro is doing right now that's a <laughs> that's a lofty goal um, uh, so work there just doing kind of marketing and, and setting up their their customer portal like troubleshooting questions that kind of stuff like product interface stuff um, and then that's when I decided that's when I I jumped over here so it, it was a very like tech thing beer was always just an interest and I'm the first to admit like I'm not the most like super beer knowledgeable person I, I think I've learned a lot in the in the two over two years I've been here um, but that's really thanks to like just the guys here and how knowledgeable they are and how passionate they are about everything that they do it's like I'll taste a beer and they'll tell me a hundred reasons why it's wrong and I'm like oh yeah it's pretty good <laughs> you know it's like oh, I'm drinking more of it uh, I do that same thing. I'm so bad. I, I brew my own beer at home, and I'm so bad at it. Yeah. Every time it comes out, I'm like, oh, this is horrible. And I can usually list a few reasons why it sucks. And my friends are like, hmm, tastes free to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't mind if it tastes like it came out of a garden hose, you know? <laughs> I'll drink it all day long if it's free. Would you say business is good? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it was when you take over something that maybe isn't the most financially sound, it, it took some time and, you know, playing around with. Uh, you know how we do things I mean obviously if you come here you'll notice like we're a little bit rough around the edges we're definitely just an industrial warehouse I haven't invested much time in you know updating our bar or you know like scraping the paint off our floor and and uh, doing that kind of stuff but you know really my focus was that if we're gonna make it out of you know the more challenging times financially the product's got to be there and whatever the brewers need to to make the product the best the best they can is what i need to give them so that's that's where all of my investment went in and they'll they'll be the first to tell you i'm like i was super stingy for a long time i was like ooh, 10 bucks like i don't know we could buy this for 10 bucks you know it's like i was selling anything that wasn't nailed down just to like get junk out of the facility i was i, I mean i i had to get super creative um you know we didn't have swag for a long time because i <laughs> just didn't have time to throw uh you know throw money at that um but you know i think through through that like making sure our product was sound and our and everything was was uh at least rolling as as best as we could possibly make it that just afforded us one it i think it redeemed the image of the company a little bit in the eyes of like people that have maybe been here before and didn't have you know the highest quality product it, you know they saw our product getting better they see it around seattle more um you know pulling out of that mass distribution model and really focusing on the tap room was was my biggest thing um which has really paid off uh you know we're like a thousand percent up from what we used to be so it's a it's an interesting it it worked but um uh, yeah now it's like next steps what do we do now speaking of I talk with our head brewer Isaac about this a lot and like where do we want to be and, and where is the industry as a whole going and I think we're all just kind of grasping at straws in a way 
um, we see the trends and we see what's popular and what's not popular and and I think everybody is guilty of at least mimicking each other to to an extent <laughs> uh, but I think you know I, I don't think I'm I want to change course as much as I want to be able to afford ourselves to slow down, do things more carefully, invest more in the things that we've seen success in, and figure out how to do them better each time we do them. I don't want a massive scale. I don't want to like distribute in all 50 states. I don't want to flood the market. Um, it's about how do we get you know the best quality beer to the right people at the right time in the right place. And and um, I think a lot of that has to do with just getting. Like I said, slowing down and getting more specific. And, um, you know, we spent last year kind of, we rolled out a bunch of new beers. We, we tried, we played, we did a bunch of different things. We saw what worked and what didn't. And now we're kind of looking back on that and adjusting off there. Um, one of our most popular beers we did last year uh, was kind of just a, a fluke that sounded good. Um, it's called Tropic Heart. It's a mango passion fruit sour um, with a lot of fruit in it. Um, we tried mangoes from like 20 different sources that we just could not find something that we really liked because purees can look brown and funky or smell a little bit like, uh, yeah, weird sometimes. We found a good source for them. They're bright. You know, the, the most important thing is that they taste good, but the secondarily, I mean, you, you consume with your eyes. Uh, we took that beer down to, uh, we got invited to... Orange County Brewers Guild Festival by Bottle Logic Brewing, um, and we went down there with that beer last year. Where's Orange County? Uh, California. Oh, that Orange County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're the they're the head of the Brewers Guild. We made friends with them because they ran out of bottles once, and I told our supplier just to sell them all our bottles. And I was like, just let them know they have to be friends with us. <laughs> so they invited us down to do that. But it was funny, we were pouring Tropic Heart and I'd pour a glass and I'd give it to somebody and another person would walk up and be like, I want the orange thing. They wouldn't even read the sign. They would just be like, I want whatever that orange thing is. And we're like, all right, so we pour it. And then 10 more people come up and they're like, what's the orange one? You know, and it, that's, that's what that day was. So yeah, I think, you know, that's a big thing that I don't think any of us had ever thought about before Isaac really got here is he's like I want the color to be this like before he even brews the beer he's like I want it to be bright I want it to glow I want it to be this and we're like huh like okay and I think that's really paid off like so it it seems so easy now like to think back on it and be like yeah it should have been brighter but when I first heard it I was like huh I've never really considered that like I'd, I'll drink a brown beer or whatever but you know, visually, I think our beers have, have come a long way, and I think that just kind of encourages people to, you know, try us out, too, when they see. It, it's fun when you go to, like, a brewer's night, and you can, like, point to everybody that has your beer in the room, because it's like, that's our beer, that's our beer, you know. We don't make a very clear anything, nothing very clear. <laughs> Since this is a kind of a wild and wild yeast facility, like, there's Brett, you know, a lot of places. Um, you know, do we get a whole separate location eventually and, and uh, you know, only produce our IPAs in one spot, like just on a smaller scale or, you know, however we do that. Um, uh, but we're also going to reinvest, you know, into this facility. We're taking over kind of the 2,000 square feet next door as kind of our storage and we're going to build some offices. In September, we're going to go through a pretty big remodel inside at a much larger walk-in just to make our lives a little bit easier. 
more seating, um, just kind of redesign the layout because I've, I've never, I kind of inherited this and I, I, I see the inefficiencies and kind of the, where things weren't planned out the best. So I want to make sure that, you know, our guys have the most, you know, the best possible place where they can brew within our means. We're not like struggling with, oh, the floor, you know, like in this area slopes up a little bit. And then when we're bringing the hand truck through, you know, like, mm -hmm. I want to get rid of all that, that factor. and and just let them focus on on making the best product and i'm sure they'll stop complaining no just kidding <laughs> you know i i say this a lot and it's not like a, a shtick or anything like i don't think at least personally for me i don't think there are enemies like or that at least there shouldn't be because this isn't like a zero-sum game i think everybody has their kind of goal and business plans and nobody's doing exactly the same thing and nobody's trying to like eat somebody else's lunch i think we're all just trying to kind of do our own thing um, and I think you know the community it's it's one of those industries where the community actually does more for you than than it takes away from you like uh, Dirty Couch like you mentioned is going to be moving in behind us and we're we're excited because uh, that puts three breweries in Magnolia gives people a nice little like pub crawl if they want to do it we like the guys at Figurehead you know we saw as soon as they moved in there's they're bringing in their crowd um, and they'll come and check us out too and vice versa like we'll hopefully send some people their way um, and I think that's how it should be and this is just my own like cockamamie idea but I think the way the industry is going is if if AB InBev or Budweiser continues to buy breweries you know they're really doing us a favor if our focus is to stay as local as possible because I think the industry is is um, they're just pointing more people in the direction of craft beer. It's like somebody who's drank Budweiser all their life or, you know, has, has only explored like the Budweiser portfolio as far as craft goes. Here's, oh, they bought Wicked Weed. Somebody goes, oh, like, what's Wicked Weed? Oh, it's sour beer. It's fruited beer. Okay, I'll go try that. It's like, oh, I like this. What else, you know, what other sour and fruited beers can I find? And you're not going to find a lot of that at like the major macro AB InBev level. Um, so you start kind of looking around your local scene, finding, finding sour beers. This could all be BS too. <laughs> well, I actually like it. It's a very positive outlook. It's uh, a positive outlook. I know that. I know the. I know the. You know the naysayers that are like, oh, they're trying to, you know, take over tap handles, take over shelf space, and and eliminate us and blah blah blah. But kind of goes back to my theory about um, just the tap room in general, as I think that that's kind of the heart of the business and and the more people that come in there and spend money you know then i don't have to worry so much about the distribution aspect of of uh of the business uh, we run pretty lean um you know me and isaac uh jd's our our sales manager he's kind of just the feet on the street guy um if you're familiar with our branded doll you've probably seen him around tall Kentuckian. Uh, we have uh, Rowan, who is probably is the oldest uh, employee of the company. Um, uh, he's kind of more of our technical brewer, like our guy that kind of knows the equipment, knows everything, the ins and outs of stuff, can can do quick fixes and you know pull apart things and put them back together and and saves our butts a lot. Eric, who does all of our label design, he's more of a part timer, but he's been my best friend since we were eight years old. Uh, he's a really talented graphic designer and he's a tattoo artist and you know when I took over things I was like huh I have no budget for art who can I con into doing our labels for cheap no uh, <laughs> basically but he's he's really great you know and he really added a lot to 
the company as a whole. Um, but yeah, I just think we had a nice convergence of people. Um, John uh, is one of our assistant brewers, just a workhorse, gets anything done. Bridget, our taproom manager, you know, Leah, Jenna, Ryan, who all hold down the taproom and always talk about keep me very sane because they're responsible adults that never like, you know, I never have to worry about them, never at home going like, oh, you know, are people stealing money or are people taking beer home and they shouldn't or yada 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 or they having a party um, they're super we're super lucky with our crew just in general I think everybody um, you know is here because they want to be here and that's that's the biggest thing to me is like um, you know I I've been at jobs where I just watch the clock I've been at jobs where I totally don't agree with the direction or you know I need to and I, I'm not being heard and make an attempt to hear everybody because I think everybody has a, a good opinion as long as you really want to be here, right? Like, that's what we keep kind of trying to stress is as long as, as long as you, this is what you really care about, there's no bad opinion or bad input, so. Keep looking out. We have some really awesome beers coming down the pipe. Um, Rebrewing some popular stuff from last year, trying some new stuff. We brewed with, we went down to Anaheim and brewed with Bottle Logic a few weeks ago, and that beer is going to be releasing down there, I think, in a couple weeks. And they're doing a can of that, and we're hoping that they'll send some up our way so we can share it with people in the tap room. Keep looking out for the reserve series. Always, our Instagram is probably what I'm most adept at using so that's that gets updated first and I'm like oh yeah Facebook exists and then sometimes I'm like oh yeah Twitter so keep keep up with our Instagram that's the best way to kind of figure out what's going on in the tap room or release wise or things like that what do you say we pop in to grab a beer huh? yeah Is let's that, do it matter? drink beer awesome <laughs> <laughs>